It's a heavy time. It's a stressful time, uncertain time. There's tremendous suffering and death. People confront the virus every day and help save lives. Essential workers continue to keep our country going round. Coronavirus has impacted everyone and in different ways. And we don't know when it will end. No one does. The human experience has a wide spectrum of emotions. What makes us human is our empathy, our ability to understand the feelings of others because we've had those feelings ourselves and we know what it's like. The world feels much smaller right now because everyone has been impacted. Everybody is going through something, everybody. All things considered, I'm doing well. I bartend a few nights a week in addition to my other responsibilities. So that's no longer going on because we have a stay at home order here in uh, Illinois, in Chicago. The hospitality industry took a huge blow um, besides financially. And I, I certainly do mean financially. Uh, I miss our community at Lincoln Station. It's, it's kind of like this living cheers, you know, that, that TV show from the, I don't even know, 70s, 80s. The owner is great. My colleagues are awesome. Our customers, especially our regulars, are fantastic. It's a good time, great vibe. Uh, we're all just ourselves, and we're very lucky to work in a place that encourages us to be ourselves while contributing to a larger goal. It's grown, actually, to be quite a community. A lot of creative and talented people roll through there, and everyone is working on something they're passionate about. It's really supportive. It's a really supportive community, and um, we certainly try to keep spirits high with our outrageous group text and uh, Instagram group for the non-iPhone users. Overall, I support the stay-at-home policy, and so far I'm proud of our leaders, Mayor Lightfoot and Governor Pritzker. I've been feeling safe with their handling up until this point, but we're going to be dealing with the threat of coronavirus for a while, and I don't think we can continually extending the order would be a good thing. We have to address the economic consequences of that. And I think we can we can loosen it a bit and focus on living smarter and more thoughtful. As I'm saying this, though, Pritzker just released a, a plan this week with how the state will go about moving forward, easing the restrictions. So that's that's good. Like I said, I'm, I'm pretty confident in our leaders so far, which is great. I see people post the specific number of days that they've been in quarantine, but I, I don't know mine. I was I was laying low the week before Saturday, the 14th of March, March 14th. And then I went to a wedding that day in uh, the countryside of Illinois, rural Illinois. And uh, I've been inside since then. I could kind of see the writing on the wall with the stay at home order. So I got my stuff together. I created this massive list of items to knock out. A lot of these items though, have been on a list for quite a while, but uh, I've been procrastinating. So it was very clear to me like what I needed to be doing. And over the years I've learned, I don't like working from home. I like being social and in those kind of atmospheres. So you've probably seen me working in libraries or coffee shops, museums, you know, wherever. I thought about my experience writing my first book, Homeless But Human, two years ago. The writing and reflecting process as a whole took over six years, but I scrapped most of it and wrote the book in six weeks. I was locked in and uh, pretty isolated and focused. I wrote probably half of it in my apartment. So I figured I'll just do that again with, with all the things that I'm working on, you know? Let's go. What I forgot though was uh, how exhausted I was after writing my book, just like completely burned out. 
And, and the same thing was happening now, like two weeks into this. So my sleep was completely out of whack. Not, not to say that it's, it's great now, but uh, my body just like felt, it felt really off. And, you know, every day was the same. The thing is, though, I have a lot more self-awareness now. And that, that clearly wasn't going to work, especially with a definite timeline. Honestly, I think a lot about the time I lived homeless. I think about the psychology of it. You have to be so mentally tough. They don't get enough credit. People don't understand that when they think about the community. These are some of the toughest dudes in the country. It's a mental feat. There's so much bureaucracy and red tape and waiting around. It's, it's so hard to stay hopeful. And in a pandemic, you know, the community is so at risk. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but another reason I decided to live homeless when I was 22 besides better understanding the issue and who it affects, was to see what I was made of as a man. I could see where life was heading. You know, I was 22 and it was like, graduate college, get a job, climb the ladder, buy things I don't want or need, get married, own a home, have kids, etc. And that's fine, that's fine, of course. But like, if I did though, I wondered when I would truly be tested. I thought I learned and grew a lot up until that point. Why not put it to use in a different setting? A setting unfamiliar to me, you know? I remember one night at the shelter. This was, this was early on. There was this guy named Curtis. And he'd have stacks of books and papers all around him. And he, he was this, like, no-nonsense guy. I asked him how many books he's read. And he was like, probably over 400. I read three books a week. Whoa! That blew me away. He said there's, like, not a lot of other stuff to do in prison. So he got two degrees, and he was released in six and three years instead of 18 years. Here, I'll, I'll read a passage from the book. This, this is like really interesting to me during, during like the quarantine. So page, page 106, almost be human. The subject of life sentences interested me. Quote, I mean, if I got life in prison, I'd probably kill myself. I confessed to him. The thought of being caged for the entirety of my breathing life depressed me. Curtis, however, didn't flinch at all. He patiently nodded his head. And clearly, this wasn't the first time he'd heard that. I can see where you're coming from. That makes sense. But guys travel from one joint to another. They see so-and-so here and that person there. He pointed in the air. They accept that this is their life and find new ways to find purpose. They accept that this is their life and look for new ways to find purpose. Many read. Some become more spiritual. Others talk to kids and teach them about decision-making. Physical boundaries doesn't mean your life is worthless. Curtis connected the ideas in my head, allowing me to draw a parallel between prison and my experience in the homeless shelter. I found meaning in his explanation of life sentences. Around two weeks into the shelter, I noticed a shift within me. Calmness replaced my sharp vulnerability. My mind accepted that living homeless was my current life. Though voluntarily homeless, the thought of abandoning this new life never arose. That time of my life was so tough, but to be honest though, life after it was even tougher. I looked at the last two sentences of my book. So this is, this is a journal entry from November 10th, 2011. The last two words of my book are, I'm so exhausted, I'm so worried. Wow, that is dark, but it's true. Years after this, I lived in darkness and it's only recently that I found light. I'm not going back. And that's what my third book, Primary Ponderings, is about. It's about transforming one's life from darkness to light. 
It's beautiful, but it's not easy. And we, we moved up the release date to next week, Tuesday, May 12th. I hope it's able to add brightness for people. It does for me, I use it as a tool. I flip through it and uh, it's positive reassurance and confidence. It's an art book that shines the philosophy that I use to overcome darkness. And so many people right now are experiencing darkness. It's blinding. It feels like you're drowning and there's no hope. We have to be considerate of that. We, we have to be patient. People are having a really rough time and, and I know how that feels. Purpose is something that Curtis mentioned about people in prison and that once they accept that, this is their new life. And I think right now people are realizing that normal doesn't exist anymore and it won't in the future. We'll be living under the threat of coronavirus for a while and the world that will emerge will be a new one. And, and this is hard to accept if, if you don't have purpose in your life. It's so challenging. We're confronted with all these emotions and thoughts about ourselves. It's overwhelming. We have to face reality. We're in a pandemic and people are dying and suffering. And we also have to face the other reality. The pandemic will pass and life will go on. So how will we handle this? I wanna mention a book I read back in January. It's called Generations by William Strauss and Neil Howe. The History of America's Future, 1584 to 2069. And it came out in 1992. So there are these, uh, these two sociologists that look at American history through the prism of generations and patterns. They identified four generational personalities in American history. Idealist, reactive, civic, and adaptive. And so they all interact with one another and the events that occur within the time. Of these four, two are dominant types, idealist and civic type. The idealist type experiences their rising adulthood, which is like age 20 to 40, during a spiritual awakening in the country. So this is your, your baby boomer generation, 1960s, hippie, flower power. The civic type experiences their rising adulthood through a secular crisis in the country. So this would be your GI generation fighting World War II and then creating the infrastructure for the country moving forward. Millennials are categorized as the civic type. In the preface of this book, which was uh, 1992, it reads, no one, for example, can foretell the specific emergency that will confront America during what we will call the crisis of 2020. America will pass into a crisis era constellation and mood, and that as a consequence, the nation's public life will undergo swift and possibly revolutionary transformation. The sum total of our prediction does not present an idealized portrait of America's future, but rather an honest depiction of where the generational cycle says the nation is headed. We are in that crisis right now. And if we look at history, what happens is the civic type responds with leadership and redefines what the country is moving forward. Millennials have been the ones to convince the older and younger generations surrounding us that this is real and that we need to trust science. Millennials have been fighting this both on the front lines as essential workers, as well as the ones transitioning their companies to remote working. As digital natives and the most educated generation in American history, we were built for this crisis. This is what gives me so much hope moving forward. When the pandemic passes, which it will, it will be our opportunity to take charge and lead the country as we envision. When I lived homeless in 2011, I was so dejected. I, you know, I thought by living homeless, 
I would have answers to the questions I had about the community, but instead I had more. It's, it's more complex than society makes it out to be, and there's, there's just no solution. The only answer in my head I could think of is just to create a better country. And now we'll be able to do that in the very near future. I can see it and I hope to be of use. It's what I work towards every day.